This morning, I thought I was done with my Chase the Lion series, and God brought me right back to another verse in Matthew 14 that talks about focused faith. And how when we don't focus our faith on Jesus, everything going on around us will detour us from what God wants us to do. So I'm going to start off this morning with just a quick story. It says, a young girl, unaccustomed to traveling, was taking a train ride through the country. And it happened that in the course of the day, her train was obliged to cross two branches of a river and several wide streams. The water, seen in advance, always awakened doubts and fear in the child. She did not understand how the train could safely cross over. As they drew near the river, however, a bridge appeared and furnished a way over. Two or three times the experience was repeated, and finally the child leaned back with a long breath of relief and confidence. Somebody has put bridges for us all the way, she said in a trusting content. That's life. We fear so many evils, so many troubles, so many times our troubles look dark ahead. So many of our difficulties seem insurmountable as they, as they just keep coming up in front of us. But as we advance, and if we keep moving forward, we're going to find out that there's a way through them. God has built bridges all the way through. He never is going to leave us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Matthew 14, and we're going to go into verses 22 through 33. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people away. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. All right, so have any of you heard that old saying, expect the worst and hope for the best? What's that? Exactly. Um... Maybe you've said it once or twice yourself. And I know the heart behind the phrase. I know the phrase isn't supposed to be a bad phrase. I get it. They're, they're, really, they're making contingency plans, basically. Just in case my plans fail, or God's plans fail, I have to have a backup plan. But I really think it's fundamentally flawed. It's a flawed statement because it's saying I have to have control. Yeah, God, I understand your plans, but I'm going to make a backup plan in case yours doesn't work. 
because I'm smarter than you. And so it, it really under, the, the, what it really misunderstands is the idea of expectations. If my, expect, my expectation is the belief that what I'm hoping for to actually is going to happen, I shouldn't need a backup plan. Because I can't hope for God's best if I'm believing for the worst. Let me say that again. We can't hope for God's best when we're expecting something to go wrong. Because our expectation then is in failure, it's not in faith. Our expectation is in what I can accomplish, not what God can do. My expectations are about me, not about Jesus. And so I can't hope to get the job I desperately want if I'm expecting to get turned down for it. You get what you expect. You get what you say. There's a portion of scripture in Proverbs that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hung by the tongue is a little book from way back in the day. You want to read a really cool book, read that book. Because what comes out of our mouth is what we convince ourselves. Um, uh, I can't remember his name right now, Ford. Um, actually said in a statement one time, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're both right. I'm going to prefer to believe I can do something. So when I talk about our church on Sunday mornings, I'm talking about a church of three to 500 people showing up here on Sunday mornings because I believe that's what God can do. I don't want my expectations to be minimalized. That's why I don't set up 15, 20 chairs. Because I expect God to fill these chairs with his people. And so that's, my expectations are huge. Now, am I let down? No. Because my expectation is in Jesus. It's not in people showing up. Because guess what? We're recording this right now. It is reaching around the world. So there are a lot of people hearing about Jesus because we come together Sunday morning. The body of Christ isn't here. The body of Christ is why I said God loves everybody. Everybody matters to him. And so whether they're here or they're not here doesn't matter. It's the fact that we're reaching out and loving people with the love that Jesus had for us. And the biggest one that people struggle with, and the biggest one if you've ever counseled anybody, will attest to that if you want your marriage to succeed, don't think it's going to fail. Because you will act like it's going to fail. When our expectations are down here, and trust me, it drives me nuts in our culture today. I expect greatness from people. When they don't reach it, sweet. They're not great. God is. We keep working forward. I'm not perfect, nor will I ever be this side of heaven. But I know God expects great things from me because I serve a pretty excellent God. And my answer to that is how can you introduce godly principles without introducing God? You can't. If we could change how we think, how we act, and how we treat people on our own, we wouldn't have the society we have today because we'd already be doing it. And so we hold people to an expectations because people will live up to what our kids will live up to the expectations we have for them or here's another clue they'll live down to them if you don't expect a lot from people that's what they'll give you and at that point when they give it to you you have no right to complain because that's what you expected and so we hold ourselves to a godly standard 
Because it's God who sets the standard, not other people. And so when I want to compare myself to other people, I, can, I compare myself to God because of who he is, not because of who I am. Jesus said to become more like him. He didn't say become a better version of you. And so I have to get rid of myself and let the Holy Spirit start to change things in me so I can become more like Jesus. Guess what? As I become more like Jesus, I become more of who I really am. I'm no longer struggling with, do I act this way in front of this person, this way in front of this person, this group, I act this way, this place, I act this way. I just act who I am all the time, and all of a sudden people will start getting attracted to you because you're focused on what's real, and that's Jesus, and what's right, and that's his name, and where his power lies is in his word, and he said, you're that good. So when you doubt yourself, understand that's not from God. God doesn't doubt you. God has said, I have placed my Holy Spirit inside of you so that you can achieve everything I've given you to achieve. Now, it doesn't say it's not going to be hard work. It's not going to, it doesn't mean that your life will be easy because it won't be. Because everything God teaches us is, is counter to culture. And so you're going to struggle with things. We're going to have our ego telling us things. We're going to have people telling us things. We're going to have friends say, why do you want to be a pastor when you could just play music and do that anywhere? Because this is who God's called me to be. God hasn't called me to play music anywhere. He's called me to worship him. And that's where my heart lies. But as we look at this story today, as I broke it down quick, and i got to get through this stuff quick, I start looking at it, and, and it starts right off, and it says, Understand, this comes right after the fact he just fed the 5,000. Okay? That's what happened just before this. And after he gets done feeding the, the 5,000, which is the only story told in all four Gospels, um, he sends his disciples away. One version says he urged them to get in the boat and go. God will sometimes send us into storms to check if our faith really is where it needs to be so when Jesus shows up, we see who he truly is. I'm reading this and I'm like, why did he send them away? And then he dispersed the people. And then what did Jesus do? He went up on the mountain by himself to pray, spend time with the Father. Because guess what? Jesus has given us an example. We've got to get refocused. Big things happen. Temptations are going to come. So instead of letting temptations come, we go up into the mountain and pray. Sunday, Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings for pastors are some of the biggest temptation times around because we pour every, our heart, spirit, soul, everything gets poured into Sunday mornings. And trust me, Sunday mornings for me are like, I got nothing. Emotionally and spiritually, I'm drained. And so what have I started to do Sunday mornings? If you ever noticed or tried to call me before noon, I very rarely will answer the phone because my Sunday mornings are in time with God because I know from mentoring with people that I have to get refocused and refreshed and relaxed before I can do this again. Otherwise, I open the door for temptation. And that's what happened in this story. These guys just saw a great miracle. Okay, Jesus sends them away. All of a sudden, they're in this storm, waves going on. And I'm, I'm giggling. I'm like, okay, Jesus, yeah, you're going to send me into some storms. I get it. I get it. You're going to send some storms my way. Things aren't always going to be easy. But what do these guys do? They see Jesus starting to walk to them now. Now, understand, they've been hanging out with this dude, so they probably know what he looks like. That'd be like you walking up to me, you know, and I, I freak out. And, dude, it's a ghost. 
They've been hanging out with Jesus for a couple years by now. Now, where they say fear here isn't like when it talks about in the Old Testament, fear of the Lord. This is like a scared phobia fear. Okay? So they're freaking out. Jesus says, whoa, slow down, dude, it's me. That's how he would have said it in my version. And he's like, and Peter, gotta love the dude. Dude's extreme. Okay? He goes from, get behind me, Satan, to, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. Dude's extreme. He goes directions like crazy. And so, Jesus, what does he say? Yep, come here. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so matter of fact. He's like, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Yep. And what does Peter do? He doesn't say, wait a minute, got to stop and think and pray about this first. God, I love when Christians use that. No, God told you to do it, do it. The longer you put it off, the harder it becomes to do because fear and doubt starts to creep in. When Jesus said, come out the boat, Peter just stepped out the boat and started walking on the water. And then what happens? He's walking on the water, having a good time. I mean, I'd have been, I'd have been dancing on the water if I was actually able to walk on water at that time. And what is, all of a sudden, he starts seeing the wind and the waves going on around him. All of a sudden, his doubts, his fears, his worries start to come in. How many of you guys deal with that type of stuff? You start working with Jesus and start walking with Jesus and all of a sudden things are going kind of good and I'm walking and all of a sudden fear starts to creep in. We start sinking. You know, maybe only up to our ankles at first because it's not a big fear. And we're still, we're still wading through and all of a sudden this doubt comes in and you're not good enough to do this. Boom, we hit our waist deep. Now we're struggling. We're just staying above water. And another fear comes in. What's your, what's your, what's your friends going to think if you do this? Boom, we're neck deep. We don't realize these stories that Jesus is telling us in the Bible are the same things we're going through today. They're not something new. We're not coming up with new stuff. We have the same fears. We have the same worries. And what does Peter do? He lost his focus. He took his eyes off of Jesus and started saying, oh, this is cool. I can do this on my own. And no, you can't, dude. And what happens? He cries out. His fear, his doubt, his worries, everything started to just engulf him. And he cried out to Jesus. So in this picture alone, Peter goes from being scared that a ghost is there to come walk on the water, to falling in the water, to Lord save me. In a matter of 11 verses. And we think if we go a couple days and something goes wrong, we think we're horrible people and start condemning ourselves because we think we don't have enough faith in Jesus. Well, right here in 11 verses, Peter had no faith, faith, no faith, and faith because he knew Jesus would save him. Oh, that's a great thought right there. No matter what storms you're going through today, Jesus says, if you call out to me, I will save you. So if there's a marriage that's going through issues today, guess what? Jesus said, when you call out to me as a couple, I will save your marriage. If you're having kids who are struggling, understand, Jesus said, pray for them, call out to me, and I will stay and love those children. He says, guess what? With your church, it may not be growing the way you want it to grow, but guess what? If you cry out to me, you will become exactly who I've called you to be, not the church. Because Jesus is more concerned about you than he is the church. 
Jesus didn't come to make a church. He came to make a way to the Father. And when we understand that, our church becomes what it was supposed to be, a way to the Father through Jesus. Acts 17, 27, as I just got to wrap up here, is it says, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is never far from them. So when you're going through storms, understand, all you have to do is reach out, like, like Peter did in this message. All Peter did was reach out and say, Lord, save me. Jesus reached down and saved him. If you're going through storms in your life, understand, Jesus says, reach out. I'm not far from you. And at the end, it's so funny, because they just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. All of a sudden, because he gets in the boat, the waves stop, they're at shore, they fall and worship him. When we reach out to God, when we reach out to Jesus, when we're going through the storms, he gives us a glimpse of who he is, and there's a newness in responding to him that will always end up being face down in worship. We weren't meant to be upright before Jesus. If you look anywhere through scriptures, Old or New Testament, when people had an encounter with Jesus, they fell face down in worship. Even, just popped into my head, even at the crucifixion, I get a giggle every time I read it. Jesus is like, looks at the soldiers and said, who are you here for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they drop to their knees. When we come face to face with God, we'll come face to face with the floor. Because that's who Jesus is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's who we celebrate with communion this morning. Is remembering what Jesus did for us and the grace he's given us. All of the communion pieces this morning that we're going to take have been constructed with the following goals in mind. That they remind us of what Jesus has done for us. They don't magically turn into something else. They don't mystically become something. It's a representation of the body and blood of Christ that was given for us so that we could have a relationship with the Father through him. Romans 3.23 says, People are made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. They are made right with God by being made free from sin through Jesus Christ. God gave Jesus as a way to forgive sin through faith. And all this is because of the blood of Jesus' death. Ephesians 2.5 says, We were spiritually dead because of the things we did wrong against God, but God gave us new life in Christ. And so when we take communion, we receive the body and blood of Jesus by faith to receive new life.